Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we'll be looking ahead to our quarterfinal against Manchester United at Old Trafford. Sunday, 4.30pm. Potentially the biggest game of the season. Certainly the biggest game of all of the matches remaining. What a match it could be if, if, if we could pick up a famous win at the Theatre Dreams. We'll also briefly look back at Arsenal. We'll address those pesky Marco Silva rumours. We'll look at Luke Harris's new contract. We've got some emails, some questions, and then this will catch on at the end of the show. And I'm joined by the regular Thursday club today, Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, listeners. How are we doing? Good, thank you. And he's back, Peter Rutzler. Hello. Hello. I had a nice trip last week. That was fun. Uh, yeah, awful excuse back. for missing the podcast, going to Bayern versus Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League last 16. Awful excuse. One of the worst yeah, I've ever heard. Not the best. Not the best. I'll uh, make sure to get to a high calibre game in future. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a nice time in Munich? I saw that you uh, that you met up with friend of the pod, Archie Rindtut, in a bar. I did. I was sent an image at what would have been 2am German time. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was good to. I've, I've never met Archie before, so it was nice to, to meet him. I was out there with um, Rafa Honigstein, so I was basically just following him around, and um, that's a good good thing to do. I was going to say, as guides that, go, <laughs> it's a very very good guide. Uh, yeah, that sounds say. like a nice Wednesday. Just um, good well, football. It was busy. Then... I know that, that that probably doesn't convey that it was, but it was. It became mad busy uh, for me, anyway. But um, yeah. Busy couple of days, enjoyed the actual game, even though I was, yeah, wasn't a bit scrappy, bit cagey, not not the high quality that I was expecting. Um, but yeah, I think Bayern deserved the win and uh, Munich's a nice city. So all in all, not bad. Nice. Well, look, another team that definitely deserved the win uh, was Arsenal on Sunday. And Peter, um, I-, I liked your description of this game in just in the headline of your article where you said that Jao Pelini's absence exposed Fulham but they did not need to be so limp limp is the word isn't it because it was just like I know you're good Arsenal I know that you're probably if you're not going to win the league you're going to push City all the way but come on like let's just like have a bit of fight even even if it's just for the cameras even if it's just for show even if the result was probably inevitable let's Let's turn up a bit more than that. Yeah, um, I can't claim the credit for any of the headlines that are written, um, but it was a word once I'd written it in copy that I thought that that's definitely going to end up in the headline. And it did, um, but it was probably appropriate because it was a bit limp, especially in that first half, as you said. Could have, could have offered a bit more fight, a bit more bite, and all the things that Jao Palinha 
is defined by, um, which made his absence very present and felt in everyone's imaginations. Um, not just the fact that he was on the cottage balcony, living it up with Mick Jagger. Um, but yeah, I, I, it, it, it was Arsenal. Arsenal were really good. And I think, I think Polina's absence is big, but I, I do think that Fulham could play better than what they showed in that first half. I thought tactically it was really interesting. My colleague Ahmed Walid's written a really good piece just detailing what Arsenal were doing in terms of Leandro Trossard dropping into midfield, uh, Martinelli doing the same, obviously Zinchenko stepping in field and, and basically saying that Fulham's you know, set up, their press was fine. Um, but Arsenal just kept tweaking it, kept finding ways through and Fulham just didn't win enough one-on-ones as well. Uh, normally, which they do. Um, so once one person's beaten, y- your whole sort of setup can can fall apart quite quickly. So um, I think there was definitely more than just the Palina element to it. Obviously, having him makes a big difference. Um, and you know, it's it was too too similar to that first game of the 2020-2021 yes. season. My liking, the moment Gabriel headed in from that corner, it was it was there were shudders. Um, I was getting flashbacks of empty stands and um uh yeah not not so fine margins for that game um <laughs> so yeah i want to i think also that it was a performance that's been coming i think that's fair to say like uh, a 45 minute spell you know we talked about how recent form hasn't been great and um you know it's particularly in terms of creativity um which I think was very evident evident against uh, Brentford as well, like in terms of creating chances. Obviously, no William um, on Sunday, but it, it just, I, I don't know. I, I put this to Silver afterwards, you know, did the team sort of need a break, like a reset, the international break? It's like, well, no, you know, Arsenal played on Thursday night. But it, yeah. Fulham haven't really rotated very much. It's a very consistent like, lineup. And maybe there's an element of we've hit, sort of hit our target, don't really know where we're going. And, maybe just a chance to go actually let's really see where we are and go from there um but i I can't see that being a factor for sunday because i think everyone knows the players like this is a massive massive game so um maybe maybe that can be the the turning point a chance to uh kick on again i mean jack in terms of the league forgetting the cup for a minute the next run of fixtures is going to be a really welcome relief for us, it's Bournemouth away, it's West Ham at home, it's Everton away, and then Leeds at home if Fulham don't progress to the cup semi-finals. Just generally, it's going to be nice to have that run and just a chance to get back to winning ways, albeit all of those sides absolutely scrapping for their lives. But it, it will be, especially with a, a couple of weeks break for most of the team before that, hopefully there will be a big reset for Fulham but it's going to be a tricky end of the season because that is the only thing about us getting to 40 points as early as we did I know we're on 39 but yeah 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 is just that motivation to keep going and to enter find ways to win against sides that need wins much more than we do and that was I get a kind of evident on Sunday Arsenal needed those three points much more than we did and that's never easy yes and no I I think there's an element here of where we are at the moment, the thing I'm looking forward to most is that international break because, you know, we've talked about it, so I'm not going to go back over it, but Peter said limp. I would have gone meek. Uh, I think those are the those are the kind of defining terms of not just the Arsenal performance, but as you say, the Brentford one as well. And the fact is that Fulham just looked knackered. And 
Marcus Silva makes a good point that Arsenal went to Lisbon on Thursday night and played out a really hard fought encounter where they drew two all. Yes, they made changes, especially across the back line and in midfield, but the front three remained relatively solid because they didn't have any other options at that point. Obviously, Trossard came back in and did brilliantly fine. But I think that you look at that and you think, wow, that that's two teams where one has the ability to rotate. Sure, they're in a bit of an injury crisis, fine, but not majorly. And they've been able to rotate throughout this point. They've added some additions in January who were able to fill the squad out, not cover gaps in it. And another which has played the same team for a long period of time. That team has been successful, trying to continue along the same vein and just struggling a little bit physically. And I think the fact that we came out slow, came out of the block slow, and we were you know, basically pummeled into submission before we'd even started playing in that second half is testament to the fact that we just looked a bit shell-shocked. Yes, Bellini's absence was massive, 100%. And I think that having that screen in front of the defence improves everybody's game, right? And I think we saw the defence struggle at times going, oh, hang on, where's our shield? Where Where's the player in front of us who's just going to mop up these different elements? Why are we coming out to win headers on the edge of the centre circle because there's no one there to win them. There's lots of things about that absence that change the dynamic and the structure of the team. Fine. But when Arsenal have played on Thursday night, you can't necessarily always blame fatigue. And yet, I think what we're seeing from Fulham is a, t- a side just in need of a break. And yes, maybe it's it's a good thing that this is a cup game um, because it, it means that you can, and it, it's the last game before the break because it means you can you know throw yourselves into it, give everything you have, and then be like, right, we're going to take a breather after this. Um, but generally, it's one of those kind of hold, you know, things that you kind of hold with. And I'm looking forward to seeing Fulham play again once they've had a rest, because they those are the things that I, I really think this side needs. And maybe then we come back out and we do look at the table. And obviously, there's going to be some of the catch up games between here and then. Obviously, on the weekend, some of the teams who have games in hand around us are playing some of the games midweek. Obviously, Brentford are playing at Southampton. We'll have a little bit more of an idea of what the table genuinely looks like, as opposed to this kind of half baked idea of where we sit within the order. And I think when you get to that point, when the, when it starts to level out a little bit, then maybe you can look at it and go, OK, we're six points behind Brighton, let's say, you know, we, when they play the same amount of games. If we win these four games in a row, there is a chance that we could catch Brighton considering the fixtures they have remaining to them. Fine. That's a much easier thing to kind of stomach and comprehend as a team and also give yourselves a kind of idea of what we're trying to achieve than it is going, yeah, well, we're one point behind Brighton, but they have three games in hand. So I actually have no idea exactly how far <laughs> we are behind Brighton. And when that's leveled out, I genuinely believe that the team will be able to look at that and be like, okay, if we're 10 points behind Brighton after their games in hand, then perhaps that's not an achievable target. If we're six and the games that we have in front of us, fine. And and those are the those are the big ones that, that we have to look for now, I think. Yeah. Um it, it is difficult at the moment to try and work out where Fulham's position is and then like Villa and Chelsea kind of closing in. But look. Um, it was a difficult day on Sunday. We're going to come on to that cup game uh, against United in a minute. Um, Peter, though, I imagine, well, certainly myself, and I imagine lots of people listening, um, are going to be slightly nervous about these rumours that have been emerging in the past few days about Marco Silva. Uh, at first, I kind of brushed it off as, oh, that's the easy link, isn't it? There's no credence to that. But now a few too many journos, a few too many papers seem to 
be making this link between Marco Silva and Spurs. So I noticed you haven't necessarily reported on it. Um, what's your understanding um, on the scale of one to 10? How much should I be panicking? <laughs> I mean, if I give you a number there, it'll be get written up. Um, <laughs> uh, I, look, I'm, I'm, I haven't got anything to report here um, on Marco Silva's situation with Tottenham. What I would say is that I think that the idea that he wouldn't be offered a contract isn't a thing. Like that's kind of part of the course. It's obvious. Um, Silva's done a phenomenal job. He's the best coach the Khans have had. They will want to keep him. Period. Um, never used that word before. Um, that sounded a bit American, actually. But yeah, like that's a given. He hasn't signed a new contract, otherwise we would have heard about it. So that naturally leads to questions about what comes next. He's still got another year on his contract from this this year. I think this summer will be really interesting in terms of the changes uh, that are available in the Premier League. I think Marco Silva has spoken very positively and with an ambition to be in the Premier League very often. Uh, he talks about it being the strongest league, uh, very, very competitive. And I think for most coaches, when they see the standard in, in, in the division, it's where you want to be. Um, uh, clearly, he's got a good thing going at Fulham um, in terms of the way it's structured and the team he's been able to help to build. It's, it's, a, good, it's a good fit for him. He's also very ambitious. I don't think he hides that. I think you can look at his track record and you can see that. So I think it's, it's, yeah, if he hasn't signed a contract yet. So I think we're going to get more of this. I think this is purely opinion. I, I, I don't know if Tottenham would want to go for a Marco Silva, seeing as the, the recent appointments that they've had. You know, it seems like they've tried to take that step into moving from a, a manager who builds. And I think Marco Silva will be seen as a manager who builds at this point because he hasn't got that top six, I suppose, status um he has won major trophies but not in uh not recently not in england um so that might count against him however when you actually look at the players they have it really suits his style of play um harry kane is the nine richarlison son is the wingers um hoybier bentenker in the middle so there's a fit there but look, I, I, this is going to continue until there's a decision on his contract either way. I think, as I say, I imagine the summer will be interesting because I don't think Spurs necessarily might be the only job that's available. Obviously, Antonio Conte is still there, but it doesn't look like he'll stay. You know, again, he hasn't signed a contract. Um, I think the interesting element, and we're playing hypotheticals here, is if Silva did go, then that's, that's quite a big summer ahead then. Um, it's going to be a big summer anyway, I would say, when you look at the number of loans in the squad, year-long contracts, Solomon, Duffy, that kind of thing. Um, there's quite a bit of work to do at Fulham, um, and that would be a lot a lot more if, if, if Silva goes. So um, I personally think, considering what Silva is building and the direction of travel, it would make sense to stay. Um, but as I say, this is going to keep happening, and I'm, there's going to be a lot of rumours. There will be with everything. Um, but yeah, until I can give more concrete information on it, then I then I shall resist the urge to. Jack, your thoughts on these rumours? I mean, look, when a manager does well at a club in the middle order, if you will, then yeah, the big fish come calling. We've just seen it happen at Chelsea with Graham Potter. I don't think it's any surprise that both Marcus Silva and Thomas Frank 
are linked to the Tottenham job right now. It's what happens when there's a change in the in the kind of frequency. There's a disturbance in the force, if you will, at the uh, the clubs who are challenging for the Champions League. They look to the clubs that are currently overperforming just below them in kind of inverted commas, if you will. Um, and, and they look to bring in uh, someone who's going to make that job easier, who knows the division, who's having, you know, a, a good season. I, I think it's only natural that we're seeing these kind of rumours come up right now. But that that's the way of the world, right? That's That's the way that it is. I think that there are probably options open to Tottenham, although I actually would say on this, Tottenham are the kind of club I think most likely to do this kind of thing. Of all the clubs in that kind of area, I think Tottenham are the club who were probably most likely to take a gamble on a manager on the on the arm. I know Chelsea did it with Potter, but that feels very out of character for them. I think that Tottenham yeah. are actually the club that would maybe do this. So there is that to be concerned about. Let's, let's not beat around the bush. But I think the fact that they've been leaked to Luis Enrique, to the fact that Lucho has said that he would be interested in that role, the fact that there are these constant rumours of Pochettino returning to the club. There's a lot of other moving pieces here that I think are probably more desirable to Tottenham fans and to probably the Tottenham board than maybe Marco Silva is. But I would be absolutely, to be honest, I would have been more surprised if after Conte and it had been revealed that Conte wasn't going to stay on, that there had been no links to Marco Silva mm. from Tottenham. That, that would have shocked me more. The idea that Tottenham didn't even have a look at a manager currently overperforming in the Premier League after where most people expected Fulham and Marco Silva to be this season. I would be more shocked if in this exact situation, there were no links for him going there. So I would say that there are definitely reasons to be concerned, but I would imagine that it would be the kind of thing that Tottenham would turn to if their first and second choice options became unavailable in, in someone like, of the kind of calibre of Pochettino, of the calibre of Luis Enrique, et cetera, et cetera. I guess there's an element, and we've seen it a lot with Potter of perception of managers, right? And we saw it when Nuno went to Spurs. Now, Nuno was a great coach for Wolves and then he went to Spurs and the Spurs fans just instantly had this feeling that they were bigger than Nuno, that Nuno wasn't deserving of being Spurs manager. And I feel like that would happen again if Spurs appointed either Frank or Silva, where I think they would just be so disappointed when there are big name coaches out there that they could have got to then go to the kind of, oh, let's just go to the middle order of the Premier League, which is my kind of hope, which I feel like it's unrealistic that Marco's going to go to Spurs. In my, in, my, in my heart of hearts, it just doesn't seem like I slightly disagree with this, Sam. I, in, in the idea that I think that Spurs have had a bit of this where Nuno came in like off the back of Pochettino Mourinho, two huge coaches in the world. And it was a bit like, Oh, and they'd also been rejected left, right and centre that summer. And so when Nuno yes. took the job, it all felt a bit weird. I think now they've had Conte, who's another one who came in as with his kind of top level pedigree in the same way that Mourinho did. And I think Spurs fans are so fed up with the style of football that Conte plays that actually they'd be a little bit more amenable to the idea of someone coming in and trying something a little bit different um, than maybe they were when Nuno came in. Also, considering that Nuno was considered a defensive coach even before yes. he went to Spurs. Whereas I don't necessarily think Marco Silva falls within that perception 
and, and therefore it would maybe be a little bit different, especially with what they've just I use suffered through in huge inverted commas here because imagine that being your suffering, but suffered through <laughs> by their perception. But I think that might have a slight something to do with it. Well, let's just hope because certainly I think um, for all of us, we'd, we'd much rather keep Marcus Silva at Fulham. I still feel like the job's not done as well. Like when you see certain managers leave clubs and they've been there, you know, let's be honest, three or four years is the life cycle really for a club our size. Only really the top clubs you feel like get to have those kind of dynasty managers of 10, 15 years. After three or four years, Marcus Silva will go. That is just the, the natural order of it. But it doesn't feel like his job's done at Fulham. Like, I feel like there's more that he can achieve. But I guess in some ways he's achieved much more in year two than anyone would have uh, expected or envisioned, which is particularly why he's been linked with that job. Um, Something else that's in the news this week, Peter, uh, Luke Harris signing a new contract until 2023. Sorry, until 2026. Uh, If it was until 2023, that would be a pretty (laughs) rubbish contract. Um, (laughs) This feels like good news. Um, We have struggled to keep players tied down for a while. I guess the only surprising thing with Luke Harris is that we haven't seen a bit more of him this season. Even those moments in the cup, I think the biggest disappointment, particularly when he got that chance where he started at Sunderland, then he got pulled after 45 minutes. I remember Jack hypothesising that that was probably in the plan because we needed to win the game. But we haven't seen as much as Luke as maybe we would have envisioned. Um, But Clearly, there's still a big uh, belief that he can be either a big player for Fulham or a big asset for Fulham, one of the, one of the two. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely really good news. It's a second pro contract um, for, for Fulham as, as much as, you know, there is the want to get players into the first team. It's also about protecting the value of the player a little bit. You know, we've seen Fulham get burnt by these situations. Obviously, Fabio Carvalho is the obvious one. And I think... It can't. That can't keep happening because Fabio Carvalho was not a player worth seven point seven million, which is the, I think the most Fulham can get, and there's a sell on as well. But um, he was worth a lot more than that, and I think Fulham have to try and protect themselves in the best way they can. You know, it's it's not easy. You can't offer a contract longer than three years to a player under eighteen, which is partly why this this contract has happened, and they've you know been able to do it because he's turned eighteen, and they've been able to extend his deal again and. The fact that Luke Harris is willing to do that suggests that despite, as you were saying, Sammy, that he probably hasn't got as many minutes as maybe he'd want, you'd Mm -hmm. you'd think, or, you know, I think maybe as we expected a bit more, a few more minutes from him. Um, He still sees himself as part of the the longer term. He feels that that there is a path there um, and that it's available to him and that the experience he's getting right now is positive. You know, he's been training with the first team all season, as we know. He's uh, extremely highly rated again in the Wales squad. Um, I suppose what hasn't helped him so much is that a lot of Fulham's games have been narrow. Yeah. Uh, results have been by single goal margin and it, there's never been a, there's been rarely a comfortable game from during which you can be thrown into. Um, I still think that there's clearly a progression element to go. Um, his path at the moment is similar to what Carvalho's was before he sort of broke onto the scene, which which was basically train with the first team, play for the under-21s. And that's quite a difficult path to tread. Um, but so far, it seems like they're, they're happy with it. I think the question will be in the summer about a loan. You know, it, is it more beneficial for him to, to find a good place to play? But again, that's a conversation for, for at that point. But there's no doubt that getting Harris to sign a second pro deal is very good news um, for Fulham. I mean, Jack, I would love to see him in the latter parts of the season 
start to be used a little bit more. Like it seems sensible. And I know that probably Marco only wants to throw him in when we're comfortable. You know, we saw him come on, for instance, in the Palace game when we were 3-0 up for five minutes. That made sense. But given how knackered Andreas Pereira is particularly because of his unique circumstance where he didn't really get a break last summer and the fact that Harris, I think his best position we think is that number 10 role, surely there's a case of like, look, let's towards the end of the season, once we've got over 40 points, let's, let's, let's put him in. Like, even if it's just like the odd 30 minutes, every two or three games, that would surely make a lot of sense in this, this um, scenario. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those elements where it's difficult in that Andreas Pereira remains Fulham's preeminent set piece, dead ball threat. Right. And we saw even obviously in the Brentford game that both goals come from Pereira assists again, inverted commas, um, but two, two <laughs> strikes that are, you know, either parried or come back off the woodwork that are, are take taken home. And in a game where Fulham didn't create very much, even towards the very end, that ability that Pereira has to make the difference from in a creative sense, I think has been important. And I think that we're aware that Harris and Pereira are very different players. Harris is very much more of a second striker type, whereas Pereira is much more of a number 10. Uh, and those are different things. Now, if Fulham are looking to get the ball in behind and looking for knockdowns and getting the ball in the box to scramble, then fine. But I think Luke Harris is the kind of player who... You don't want him to lose confidence by not being able to get himself into games. And I think we saw that a little bit maybe in the Sunderland game. And again, we talked about it maybe being planned, but it wasn't a it wasn't a bad showing by any stretch of the imagination. It just wasn't a game where I think he was able to showcase the best of his abilities. And the way that Fulham play right now perhaps doesn't necessarily suit that to its full extent. Um, but it goes back around to what we're talking about at the top, and I'm not going to go over it fully again, obviously. But if Fulham have decided that the season is kind of done, and that there's no chase on for a European spot and that the teams below us aren't going to be catching us, then yeah, completely, 100%. But I also think that there might be an element of, hang on, if we can get these couple of results after the international break and propel ourselves back into the conversation, is Marcus Silva going to chase that for all it's worth? Yes. And does that mean less opportunities for young players like Luke Harris? I also think that that's just going to be the case. But it's a great thing that he signed the deal. It means that at least in in somebody's mind, in his mind or his agent's mind or his family's mind, the pathway still remains and that Fulham have been able to communicate that to him effectively. And for those reasons, I think everyone could be pretty pleased with this deal in pretty much every sense. Um, finally, before we uh, take a break, Peter, um, thought you might just want to mention the uh, the under-21s. What a win uh, at the Bet365, 6-1 against Stoke City. Uh, they're now in the Premier League Cup uh, semi-finals. Uh, Terry Ablade with a hat-trick and then uh, Solly Hilton with a couple and then Ollie Sanderson uh, getting the sixth uh, late on. Impressive win for the under-21s. Um, and uh, nice to see Sonny Hilton. Um back at Fulham and, uh, and and back scoring some goals for us after what's been a difficult year. Yeah, no, a really good result for them. Um, they had sort of a, a sticky patch of form, I think, in, in January. Um, obviously, there's changes with players going out on loan, like so Oli O'Neill, who's gone to, to Derry. Um, scored his first goal the other week. Ah, there we go. See, And Adrian Pagaziti, of course, going to, to Norway, as we've talked about. Um, but yeah, four, four wins on the spin, I think, now uh, in all competitions. As you say, in the semi-finals of the Premier League Cup, um, they've got the quarterfinal against Sparta Prague of the International Cup, Premier League International Cup tonight, Wednesday night. 
So, um, yeah, they'll be looking to keep up that form. I don't think Sparta have conceded actually in the competition so far. Um, but yeah, no, it's good. It's good to see Sonny Hilton getting back to some form. Um, yeah, after the the difficulties of his of his loan spell as well, and and Terry Blade as well, who had a hamstring injury earlier in the season. So, um, yeah, a very good result. All right. Well, that'll do for part one. In part two, we'll look ahead to Sunday's big game. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here on the Thursday Club with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Right, we're going to look ahead to Man United in a second. But first of all, just want to do a bit of a shout out um, for the Paul Allen project. Uh, you'll know that we've uh, talked a lot about the Paul Allen project this year. Uh, Claire has been on the podcast several times and they've got a really awesome challenge that they're doing in the summer. But they're looking for people to take part. They're also looking for uh, sponsorship as well. They're doing a walk between Fulham and Blackpool. Uh, So I think it's um, from the 29th of May to the 4th of June. Obviously, uh, you'll understand the symbolism. Um, uh, Fulham versus Blackpool was the game where Paul Adams sadly passed away. Um, So it's a fantastic initiative, uh, a hell of a long way uh, to walk. And I know that they could uh, do with your support all amongst the 225 miles um, that they're doing. So if you'd like to uh, sponsor their Uh, raising awareness, um, trying to get as many public access defibrillators uh, into public areas as possible, particularly uh, sports centres, sports pitches, uh, things like that. It's such an important, worthy cause. So um, if you can uh, give them uh, a few quid, then um, at Paul Allen Project on Twitter, there's all the details there, or you can go to the paulallenproject.org and back uh, Claire and all the wonderful volunteers who are walking to Blackpool at the end of May. Right, let's look ahead then to our trek to Man United on Sunday. And um, Jack... I wrote in an article that I do for BBC Sport. I, I, I don't know if I've put the cat amongst the pigeons here. I'd like to see whether you agree. I said I'd happily lose every league match for the remainder of the season if it means winning at Old Trafford on Sunday. Massively hypothetical. Does thou agree? Oh, God. Um, it would be pretty bleak. Yeah, it would be pretty bleak. Luke Harris would get some games. So that's yeah. good. So that's good. We can we can take that <laughs> take that from it. No, I'd take losing every single league match for the rest of the campaign if we won the FA Cup. Yeah. But not just to win at Old Trafford. But there's a good chance of winning the FA Cup. I genuinely think if we can win this game, I know that Man City, you, Manchester is still City are still about. in the competition. Did you watch Manchester City last night in the Champions League? I did watch <laughs> Manchester City just last a heads night. Up that Harlan scored five goals and they beat the team that's currently fourth in the Bundesliga. Seven nil. No, I re- I, I realise that like it's not guaranteed, but there's a bloody better chance if we can beat the second favourites. And Brighton is still there and could do a job and could beat anyone on their day. Yeah, I take it if we won the FA Cup, I wouldn't take it just to win at Old Trafford this week. I, mean, I literally sat here at the top of this podcast and complained about the fact that Fulham have played too many games and the team looks knackered. So I don't know if I can I can truly be like, oh yeah, cool, we give it all up to to win one extra. Um, and thus 
dilute the fixture schedule even further. But if we were going to win the FA Cup, I'd take losing all the rest of the games in the season. If it was just to win this one, I'm going to say no. What about for an FA Cup final? Just the day out, an FA Cup final itself? Maybe. You're about, you, you're getting, you're uh, getting closer. You're getting warmer. Marco Polo, you're getting warmer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, Peter, it's going to be extremely difficult. Um, but there does just feel like a few things swinging back in our favour for this. Xiao Polina back. Man United's fixture schedule has really piled up and they are looking a bit jaded. You know, a nil-nil draw against Southampton is not a great result. They did look impressive against Betis. Sorry, Jack. Um, last Thursday. And then this Casemiro suspension. That's huge for Fulham. Uh, and as soon as that came in, I got very excited. Yeah, no, Casemiro, not having him in the team is is going to be absolutely massive for for United. You know, he's made such an impact. I think he's a key reason as to why they've sort of stabilised on Derek Ten Hag and, and, and really kicked on in a slightly different role to what he was doing at Real Madrid, a little bit more forward thinking. But um, the fact that he's unavailable is huge, possibly similar to how Fulham missed Joao Polina. Um And I think that's only bodes well. I mean, the numbers with and without are, are pretty evidential, I suppose, if that's the right word. Yeah, I actually have them here. Um, Man United with Casemiro played 37, got a win rate of 76%. They've played seven games without Casemiro, win rate of 43%. Um, fewer goals scored without Casemiro and a lot more conceded. Well, there we go. Yeah, he's important. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sure United fans are sick of people banging on about it, as sick as I am of seeing the stats about Polina, um, with or without. It's a bit like, yes, okay, we get it. He's really important to us. But still, look, Peter, we've got to take everything we can get in what is going to be a really tall order for Fulham. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the bigger advantage is the fact that United are away in Spain on Thursday night. That's That's the bigger thing. The tie is not completely done as well. So... Uh, depending how this game goes, maybe if, if Batiste can can really trouble United, um, then maybe that will have an impact. But um, can they, Jack? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, okay. Sadly, I, I think at three-one down that time might have been alive at the Via Marine. I don't think at four-one. And to be honest, the way that us that United sized side through Betis almost a will, um, I think, was pretty testament to the fact that the scoreline couldn't maybe should have been more so yeah not not great not a great display from the old Verdi Blancos but alas we live we live you are oh, right though Peter they still got to get on a plane they still got to play 90 minutes of football didn't, yes they didn't seem to do Arsenal any major <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah maybe scratch what I was saying before but no the, the the travel element you know that's a part of things um You'd rather not have to get on a plane than than have to get on a plane before a big big match. Um, they still haven't quite recovered themselves, I think, fully. I know they played well in the first leg against Batiste, but fully since the Liverpool game. Obviously, the red card against Southampton changed the dynamics of that match. So there there is an opportunity, and I think fundamentally for Fulham, uh, the chance to get to Wembley. I, I I still disagree with the idea of a semi-final being at Wembley. I'm still a bit of the view it should be a neutral ground, which and that Wembley should be a bit more sacrosanct. But um, that aside, the chance to get there first semi-final for a long time, I think that's that's a massive carrot for everyone in the squad. And I think 
you could even make a case that there's still been an eye on that game because it's you know it's, it's huge, isn't it? The, the, you're right, Sammy. The draw is still relatively. It's not open. City is still in there, but there is a route to the final, and once you're in the final, you're you're game away from from success. And um, providing like Fulham can get through this, then then maybe it's on. But um, let's see. Having Palinho back is really important. Um, we all know how good Manchester United have been this season. You know the, the Liverpool result seemed a bit of a an anomaly. Um, and teams generally actually recover kind of well after big heavy defeats like that. Maybe that will happen here, but the, we've seen Marcus Rashford hit incredible heights. The team seems far more comfortable playing under Ten Hag's philosophy and system since Cristiano Ronaldo left. Um, Bruno Fernandes is showing. Uh, I've pronounced that incorrectly. Sorry, Jack. Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, showing some of the form that he had previously uh, demonstrated at Old Trafford. So um, the, the, we, the, there's a, it's, it's one of the best teams in, in the country um, and it's gonna, not going to be an easy game. But on their day, Fulham have been competitive. They've taken all of the teams home and away, generally Arsenal aside, and Newcastle at home aside. They can take all of these teams until the last few minutes of a game. They can really make it difficult for them. So similar again, a fully fit, strong team, Then, then yeah, why not? So Jack, this Man United side, up until that Liverpool defeat, has been almost imperious, um, this side of the World Cup. Um, mm. I think they lost the game to Arsenal, but only just. Other than that, they'd been pretty much winning every game that that came their way. I, I watched that Barcelona game um, and they were magnificent that night and, and, and fully deserving of the victory. So how do you... How do you stop Manchester United? No Casemiro, which is huge, but there's still so much talent. Um, that kind of midfield four of Rashford, Fernandes, Sancho and Anthony uh, behind Veghorst is is so good. And, then, you know, in defence as well, Martinez has got much better. Varane is a, is a Rolls-Royce of a, of a de- defender. So, yeah, what is the key to trying to get past Manchester United? Transitions, I think, is what we saw when Liverpool played at Manfield, getting in behind, making those players play on the back foot. Um, I think Lissandro might genuinely play midfield in this game. Now, I don't necessarily agree with it. I don't think it's a good idea, but I think that they might might play Lissandro in, in midfield in Casemiro's absence to try and shore things up in there. I, I mean, it would be a massive punch in the face to either McTominay or Fred, but I assume it's going to be McTominay. Um, but I think they might might do it because they have more options at centre-back. Uh, and in the FA Cup, I'd imagine they might just give Harry Mags a go. So in in that regard, I think you you have to try and cut the early ball into Rashford. You know, United have become really, really good at basically creating what's known as artificial transitions in that rather than sitting in deep in the way that they did under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, they look to win the ball back far higher up the pitch uh, and catch you in the kind of moments where where you can be caught. I think we saw that obviously at Fulham for the Garnacho winner at Craven Cottage, you know, creating those moments where they can provide overloads by keep catching you in your shape where you're looking to try and hit them on, on the break. I think without Casemiro, it becomes a really interesting game. And I think that Fulham genuinely never shot here. Um, but it's it's still it'd still be a massive upset. Um you know, have to do a lot of work in trying to shut down those channels in which Bruno Fernandes operates. Marcus Rashford can play in about four different positions in this side, which makes him incredibly difficult to mark. And we saw that against Barcelona when 
they put Ronald Araujo out on that right-hand side uh, to try and shackle him in the way that I assume Marcus Silva will look to Kenny Tete to do. Um, he basically just drifted into the centre and caused Marcus Alonso and Gilles Kunde problems all night. And Vekos dropped in deep. And then Bruno went out to the right. It, it all kind of mixed up and, and, and changed around. And you know, were able to, in-game, manage the way that they kind of played everyone up against each other and, and kind of deal with that. So... You've got to be aware that they're going to try that if it's not working. They're going to be able to mix that front three around and front four around and put them in different positions to try and make things happen. Um, but generally, I think if you can get them in transition, if you can get them facing the wrong way and look to hit them in those spaces between fullback and, and centre-back like Liverpool did the other week, then you have a shot. And, and with Polina back and, and, and potentially a winning in the midfield battle there, you know, financial will, will drift around. But if you can then beat the midfield battle of, of McTominay, Fred, Lissandra, whoever it is, then they you got shot. And and that's all we can really ask for, right? What's Silver going to do here? Because we have seen a bit of a cup side. We've seen players like Marek Rodak play in the cup. We've seen Tosin Adarabaya play in the cup. Surely, surely Marcus Silva's going to go first choice in this. Like, I, I like Marek. I think it's been nice that he's been getting the minutes, but this is the biggest game of the season. Surely he's going to go with his strongest 11. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you think so? I think so. Um, he's talked about the importance of the FA Cup and that it being a target for Fulham and wanting to really value it. Um, and yeah, there's been rotation. I think, in, particularly in the last couple of rounds, I think the rotation has been understandable and probably needed. And there are players there that need those minutes, particularly the likes of Solomon and, and Wilson. And we've we've seen the benefits of that for, for Solomon in particular. Um and while that's in mind, yeah, this is, this is 90 minutes from Wembley. It's Fulham's biggest game of the season. Fulham should probably go full strength. I imagine United will try and go as strong as they can as well because they will want to win another cup competition. Um, yeah, this is the this is the uh, the important end, the business end. That's the word. Um, business. Of the competition. And yeah, I, business indeed. Um, and business needs to be done. So um, I think... Yeah, I'd be I'd I'd be like you, Sammy. I'd be surprised. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say it'd be the worst thing if if Marek Rodak starts in goal. Um, however, I yeah, there'd be a degree of surprise there because I think this is a chance for Fulham to to get to Wembley <laughs> um, in a major competition. So um, they should try and take it, and I think that will be the the frame of mind. Jack, what would be your um... Your, your lineup then. I'll, I'll say what I think mine would be, and uh, maybe you could say if you would disagree. I would have Leno in goal, Robinson, Ream, Diop, Tete, Polina back in. I'd have Harrison Reed alongside him, Andreas Pereira in the 10. I'd have Solomon on the left, Deckard over Reed on the right, and Mitch Fitch up front. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably exactly how I'd go. If you, if I was stretching it a tad, I, I'm not hugely pushed over who starts between. Lukic and Reed, because I think Lukic's passing has been relatively sharp. Uh, I think he gets into those areas and carry the ball forward a little bit more. Uh, and if we feel that we can win that midfield battle, then I think that he, him getting in the ascendancy might give us a little bit more attacking thrust in those areas. This is the only, only place really that I think that I maybe might disagree. Harry Wilson has a cracking record against Man United, um, but I don't <laughs> see him starting kick. here. So it is an interesting one. Obviously, Willian not available at the weekend. I wouldn't rush him back in for this one, although I do think we look less creative when he's not in the side. Um, but if he was fully fit and he played at the weekend, I would have started him. 
Yeah, he's not. I would probably use him off the bench. Yeah, I was. I was just saying. I I think if Williams fit, I think he probably should play, and I I think that's just because he's built up a really good understanding on that left hand side with with Pereira and Robinson, um, and it's so important to Fulham's build up play in those wide areas, the, those rotations that they have. Um, that's where Fulham create chances. It's in those wide wide areas, and um, I think that familiarity is 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 useful and. Obviously, Solomon's a fantastic player. We've seen that. We see his quality. I think Ben White did a really good job against him. Clearly, Arsenal had planned for, for the way he would play and attack. Um, however, I, I don't, it's not like it's saying one's better than the other, but I just think in terms of familiarity and what we've seen over the season, it would make sense, I think, to play Willian and then use Solomon as that, that wild card from, from the bench in that sense. But I don't think anyone objects to Solomon starting considering his, his form. Yeah, no. Well, I guess also uh, since Solomon has started starting, the results haven't been quite going away. I don't think there's a correlation there, but I would understand if Silver went back to William at left wing. That would be one change I would rel- I would fully understand if it was William over Solomon. We know that Solomon's impact off the bench can be pretty lethal, and and that would give Fulham a huge boost off the bench for the final 30, especially look, I guess one thing to consider here, Jack is extra time and penalties mm-hmm. and, uh, David De Gea's oh. record from penalties. Um, well, he's not historically been that great. He has improved his uh, penalty taking record, but I think it could be one of those games that's really tight and goes all the way to, to those to those levels and that will really uh, shred our nerves see if we can uh, get through to Wembley on a penalty shootout yeah we're famously really good at penalties so that'll be fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> it would be incredibly Fulhamish to then win a penalty shootout when it really mattered but we just keep we've been missing penalties for the best part of five years for fun as well like you know alas uh, look if it goes the distance it, it goes the distance I don't think Leno's penalty record is particularly brilliant either so uh, I think that we're probably talking about very small margins to uh, quote our for, for favourite former club Bruges manager. Um, it was, yeah, fine, fine margins if it goes to a penalty shot. Look, I, 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 if it goes the distance, it goes the distance. I, I don't know if there's much we could kind of add to that from a, an analytical perspective. There's an element of fate if we get to have a penalty shootout against David De Gea because we should have had a penalty shootout against David De Gea in that Europa League final. That was the fate that that final deserved. Yes, indeed it was. And I think we would have won that penalty shootout as well because Mark Schwarzer would have been the man. Yes, yeah, so, no, I think that's fine. But um, uh, that would be great and I'd love the uh, the narrative arc that you're, you're suggesting. But um, if it comes to penalties, I will be hiding behind a te- my sofa rather than um, than watching them, I think, in, in, in the flesh. Didn't right. Leno save like four penalties in one season once? Or am I making that up? I think you're right, but I don't I think he saved quite... one since. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let me get the record up. Oh no, he, he saved a couple since, but it hasn't been as hasn't been as noticeable. But yeah, okay, maybe you can roll back the years and channel it. It's on. Let's um, make it happen. Let's go. As far as uh, transfer marks is concerned, with uh, Leno's penalty record, um, he saved two Premier League penalties, one against Jorginho, impressively. Um, I think that was in the lockdown season. And it was then, in that um, weird bit where Jorginho forgot how to. Everyone worked out Jorginho's penalty tactics. It was really quite something. <laughs> Uh, oh, it, was seven. Also- it, was, it was seven penalties in one season, 2013-14. 
That's quite a lot. That is, that loads, is actually. quite impressive. Yeah. Cool. Fair enough. Yeah. I was yeah. completely wrong. Channel that year. That's what he needs. Yeah. I'm also then just looking at his 1920, where for Arsenal, it looks like he conceded about 20 million uh, penalties as well. So yeah, if he just needs to channel the inner 2013, 14 in him. All right, let's do a few questions before this will catch on. Um, first of all, this one from John Stevens Hall. Um, this is another kind of transfer rumour-y one. Um, we talked about Marcus Silva potentially leaving. Jao Polinho is definitely Jack getting... Um, Attention. I mean, he's had attention all season, but it feels like that's ramping up again. I saw the Anfield rap on their gutter show talking about Jao Polinia. Yeah. Leave it out, lads. Um, but John's question is, Jao Polinia is 28 this summer. Isn't it now or never for the big move that he might feel he's capable of? What's the realistic age ceiling for a big signing by the top clubs? Uh, hmm. I mean, it completely depends on who it is but um no i i think you'd get what i think you'd still get a, a, a relatively big fee for him at 29 um especially mm. you know when you look at players in those positions and fernandinho went to 35 didn't he for man city um it's a position where experience i think is important uh, as much as anything else so yeah that can that can go i mean casemiro got a big move this summer he's what 30 um but I guess the thing with Casemiro is Casemiro was like a, a trophy winner. He was almost in a kind of weird way, taking a step down. Whereas when's the last point, I think that a big club would be like, okay, we're going to go for a player that hasn't really won anything or got that experience, et cetera. If they look at, th and if, especially if they're going to have to spend, you know, someone, Jaupolini is going to cost North of 60 million pounds. At what point do they go like, wow, that's a lot of money for someone that's X amount of years old. How old was Clint Dempsey when he went to Tottenham? About 30-ish. Yeah. I, 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 I get the premise of the question. I think maybe the next couple of years. I think that's, I think that's next couple of years. If, if you're thinking of, uh, I don't think it's impossible to get the move at all, but I think if you're looking at it from a Fulham perspective in terms of getting the, the fee you could do, then you're looking at the next year or two for sure. Like with everything, I, I, I think... Context is key. One year, if you if you yeah. leave after one year, I think everyone's a bit like, oh, have you really... If, if Jao Pellini gave us two good years, I think we'd all wouldn't begrudge him a move. After one year, a bit like the Carvalho thing, no one thought ill of Carvalho, but I remember thinking like, oh, you didn't finish it, right? You didn't finish... Two years, if you give it your all and you've played that level of football, then it's kind of like, well what can we do? We've got something out of you at the very least. When it's one year, it always just feels a bit empty. I think with, um, with Palina, a lot of these things are context related. A transfer is how much you're willing to pay for someone. In the same way, when we talked about Necker Williams last year, it seemed like he'd be worth more for Forrest than he would have been for Fulham necessarily. Um, yeah. Obviously it hasn't worked out as well as he would have hoped, but it was in that, it's that kind of context. And if you were to look at Palina and how much he is worth to Fulham, at the moment, um, you could make a good case that he's pretty integral to where they are in this table. He's yeah. pretty essential to their Premier League. I don't want to say status because it's not that's maybe overregging it a bit, but he's there is no doubt doubting the importance to Fulham, and the same applies to Alexander Mitrovic as well. You know <laughs> that increases the value to the club, and that's that will mean when you factor in the fact that he's got a five-year contract. I think. Um, Fulham are in a really strong negotiating position over Palinia. Um, 
So if someone's going to come in for him, and we're talking of a context where we saw how much Caicedo was worth to Brighton. Uh, I'm not saying that he could be worth the same as Caicedo, but I don't think it's going to be a million miles away from that upper end of the fee market because that's what he's worth. And age matters. I can see Jack's face. Age matters. But um, the value to the team. thats It's not like previous years where clubs would, you know, they, they, they need to sell. Fulham don't need to sell. I think they should be ready to sell because that's that's how it's going to work, unfortunately, for a club of Fulham size in their current yeah. position in the Premier League table. You've got to be able to sell and then do it again, find another top talent. It's not easy, but that's that's how it's got to go. Um, but at the same time, they're going to, if someone's going to take Palina off Fulham, they're going to have to, they're going to have to pay some good money, I think. Well, I always get frustrated and it often seems to be big six fans that do this. You know, I've, I've had this chat with a few mates where, uh, oh, Palina will go in the summer. Oh yeah, he'll be 30, 40 million. I was like, no, he'll be north of 60, 70. He's absolutely integral to us. We have no reason to sell and he's on a massive contract. And they're all saying, yeah, but he's 28. He's not worth that. It's like, he's worth it to Fulham. It doesn't matter what you think he's worth to, to your club or in your the context of your squad. It's what he's worth to Fulham. And whilst, yes, of course, eventually player power tells, I don't think Fulham will let him go for a price that we don't think is acceptable. So I think that we should be looking for big money and he'll be a massive hole to replace, but he'd be a lot, he'd be a hell of a lot easier to replace if we had 80 million uh, with which to, uh, to find someone new. Um, it would certainly make uh, the job a little bit simpler. Um, this question from Lou, we talked about our intensity and fatigue Jack a bit, but one question that he said there, he said, is it also our intensity of football that might be a contributing factor to our energy drop um, feels a bit like uh, Bielsa kind of uh, syndrome. Where is that the case at Fulham? You know, it is quite high energy. It is quite high press. The players do run a lot and work very hard off the ball. Do you think that has contributed to the fact that the, the, the fatigue seems to have set in? Well, yeah. Um, although I don't think you'd find any more than maybe another, maybe more than, than, than another club, for example. Yeah. I, I don't know if you'd find that many clubs in the Premier League who don't have a relatively high intensity strategy. Um, so especially ones that are doing well and, and look, it's not a direct correlation between how much you run and how well you do they, those things, as much as people keep trying to make that a thing, every time United lose, but are like, oh, they run 10 kilometers less? That's not how it works. Um, but I think when you when you look at it, you know most sides have a relatively high intensity game. There, I think Fulham's maybe maybe the step up has potentially contributed. Um, I, I'm not 100 percent sure, but obviously Fulham had a lot of the ball last year and were able to knock it around, and often were in relatively comfortable leads and able to see out games without too much stress. Whereas I think maybe this year, and kind of Peter touched on it earlier. The idea that most of our games, even if we've won them, we've had to keep the ball in the corner at the end or, or, or get make sure that our press is still on top towards the end of games. The fact that we haven't run away with many games has potentially ha- ha kind of made this a, a little bit more of a thing than perhaps maybe we might think it was. Um, but I don't think it's hugely more than most. I think there's probably a slight contributing factor. I think it's just generally the fact that we probably rotate as little as almost anybody else in the league. Uh, you know, there have been sides who have stayed very consistent, Arsenal being one of them. 
Um, but I think they've had a little bit more of, of a bench to rely on in terms of players they can bring on and, and make differences. And I think our injury hit, hit list at the moment is probably contributing to the fact that players, you know, the Andreas Pereira, who we talked about a lot today, have probably played a little bit more than maybe they should have done, you know, towards the end of the season. Yeah. And that's probably contributing a little bit more, very much from an aesthetic perspective, if anything else. I mean, Peter, the, the the lack of Kearney actually is possibly an underrated reason as well behind behind this. Marco used that so much. And I think he addressed that in a press conference recently as well, because I think everyone was focusing on Ampelinia. But I think he said something about Kearney as well is actually a, a very, very big miss. Yeah, no, I was asking him because I was asking about Andreas Pereira as well. And um, he made the point that he's a different profile to, to Kearney. I think that's, that's very true. But I think where Fulham have missed Kearney is the the way in which he can change dynamics in games, help team, the team to come back, help the team to, prevent, to preserve a lead. Um, and not having that option is, has probably hurt them a little bit. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, hopefully he can be within in contention this week to to return for the United game after his, his ankle injury. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there's there's been a few and that he's one of those players that while he's not always started games, he's always come on. He's always played a part in them. And um, yeah, I think that's 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 pretty evident. Cool. All right. Time for this will catch on uh, before the end of the show. I want to start off with everyone who messaged us that the song for Marco Silva's army was Maxwell Silverhammer by the Beatles. Never have we had such interaction on the podcast. I had about a million DMs. I'll do a shout out to a few people that got in touch. Um, George Davies, the Marco Silva song is to the tune of Maxwell Silverhammer. Uh, Edward Fryer, got here too late to join the Maxwell Silverhammer bandwagon. James Wilson, parts of the Marco song sounded like Maxwell Silverhammer, no? Richard Bamber. Parts of it, uh, I like that, I like that being... one. Parts of it sounded a bit <laughs> like that. <laughs> Richard Bamber got in touch. Uh, Tom on email got in touch. Thank you to everyone who um, corrected us that we did not know. It's the second time it's got us, Jack, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. a little that's bit what's embarrassing. really frustrated me. I was like, oh, I didn't learn my lessons for the first time. I was going to put it out there. I don't really like it. I listened to the song afterwards. I was like, I don't like this song. I only like the Brentford songs that were written for, for I only like the Brentford songs that were written by the Beatles, you know, <laughs> all their other ones. You mean you you only like the Beatles songs that were written by Brentford? No, no, no. The no, the Brentford songs that were written by the Beatles. Um because oh, okay. the Beatles were massive Brentford fans. They grew up in Hounslow. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. I um, always forget. You know, they wrote famous ones like Let It Be, spelled B E E. Um, <laughs> hey Jude. <laughs> Oh, God. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for getting in touch about that one. Hopefully we know the tu- uh, the tunes for today's songs, but please do get in touch if we don't. Uh, let's start off with this one that must have got lost in the emails because this one was sent um, in November. And what? I don't... I, I just, it just got completely lost down the back of the sofa and I was just flicking through the emails the other day. I was like, oh... That's a really good one. So this is by Craven the Hunter. It says, hi team, just a little something I cooked up completely spontaneously. Just want to confirm I have absolutely not been practicing this too much. Uh, he's done this for Burnt Leno. Uh, he says, keep up the stellar work as always. And it's to the tune of Burn Baby Burn. Um, I think you can see where this is going. <laughs> Not a surprise, as a nigger, not a guy. We need a 
German keeper. One that's a sweeper. Look at here. Marco was screaming. He just didn't know. That's his coaches to help him. Then a brainwave started exploding. I heard somebody say, Burn, baby, burn. Let's get burned burn, baby, burn. Oh, Brad wow. died my day when I listened to that. That is quite something. Um, it's it's the I energy. Mean, it's there the was attack. real energy, real energy. Have you ever seen that guy on uh, YouTube? I think his name is Mark Rebele. He does a thing that's like right. how to funk in two minutes. And he's in all a right. dressing gown and he does all this stuff <laughs> and he's basically like doing it on a keyboard and like a drum machine. And at the end, like, it's all like, oh, this is actually quite good. And then he grabs the mic at the end and just starts giving it absolute beans. And I'm like, that's exactly what's happened here. That is recorded in a kitchen, with someone in a dressing gown, like giving it large. And that's what I'm here for. So respect for the, uh, the endeavor, the energy, the effort. I'm here for all of it. There was definitely some uh, head bopping going on there as well, weren't there? Some serious head movement. You could hear it. You could hear the finger snaps. I was like, this is great. Um, Yeah. I mean, maybe Craven the Hunter is Mark Rebele. Uh, And if not, then he should probably look him up because I reckon they'd get on really well. (laughs) Yeah. Brilliant stuff, Craven Great the stuff, Hunter. Craven sorry, Hunter. sorry that that was in the inbox for four months. An absolute travesty that that didn't get played sooner. I will uh, endeavour to make sure that the emails are not that uh, neglected in future. Right, uh, the next one is from Sam Witcher, who has been um, badgering me for weeks to get these played. He's sent a, a couple. Um, we might play uh, another one in a couple of weeks, but I'm going to do this one that he sent in for Mana Solomon. Uh, his is, this is Sam's email he says hello massive fan and follower of the pod and all that you do love this feature and have been lucky enough to have my neighbor's theme tune played in the past oh yes the neighbor's theme tune last year was um, absolutely sensational um, you said it could probably be the opening theme to Fulhamish TV series, which was a compliment enough for me. Since then, there have been some absolute classics. And obviously, after the recent Tom Kearney song, most of us went underground to try and conjure up what could be the next hit. I was mulling over all the feedback uh, you gave on a flight home from skiing in Bulgaria when these songs came to me. And I hope you appreciate I've tried to incl- incorporate as much Fulhamish content as possible. Uh, so I'm going to play this one today, but we're going to play another in the next couple of weeks. Um, this is for Mana Solomon to the tune of More Than a Woman by the Bee Gees. <laughs> Jesus. So here we go. It's very funky today. Didn't know you very well. Saw you training every day, we've never seen you play before. But now you take our breath away, suddenly you're in our life. Part of everything we do, Marco's working day and night, just trying to keep a hold of you. Here by the Thames you found a paradise, a chance for happiness. And if we lose you now, you know we'll all cry. Say you'll always play for us and we can make it shine We can take forever, 90 minutes at a time Excellent Mount Solomon 
<laughs> Can you score for me? Mano Salamat. He loves Fulham FC. Very good. That's by Sam. That was excellent. Well done, Sam. I love that. That was brilliant. Uh, there's a couple more to come in the next couple of weeks because he has uh, sent three and uh, the other ones are all very good as well. So that'll hopefully keep you hooked for the uh, this will catch ons that we do over the international break. Uh, this final one is from uh, our friends of the pod down in Australia. The That's So Craven podcast. Uh, we've had That's So Craven send us uh, a couple. Uh, and this one is from Elton at the this That's So Craven podcast. Uh, he says, thanks for again for your content and all the shout outs. It's very much appreciated. We're big fans of Fulhamish. Uh, I've been listening a bit to That's So Craven. Uh, it's a really, really good podcast. Um, so if you need an extra Fulham podcast in your life, in addition to Fulham Focus and Cottage Talk and all the good ones out there, then uh, That's So Craven is a nice uh, fourth addition to uh, the, the podcast gang. Anyway, uh, he has sent in this one uh, for our uh, deal of the season slash decade, uh, Zhao Polina. Um This is to the tune of Angels by Robbie Williams. And um, I mean, it is very good. I, I just have to say that. Right, here we go. Sit and wait. <laughs> wow. For those midfielders to invade my space. And do they know that they will never go near Eman Co? Cause I have been told. Silver to let my wings unfold, and though I mustn't get a red, <laughs> thoughts running through my head, despite what the gaffer said, I'm slide tackling instead, and through it all, I'm offering protection. My back four with affection Whether I'm right or wrong Chasing down the ball <laughs> Wherever it may take me There's no one there will break me When VAR is called The ref won't forsake me <laughs> I'm Jopalina, you're dead <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> 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 it's a bit of an escalation, isn't it? Bloody hell. I'm you're dead is a great night. <laughs> Save me. 
I'm Jalpalinia, you're dead. <laughs> oh, unbelievable. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm very happy. Some of those top notes were a little bit of a stretch for Elton there. But well, I respect it. Respect he, it. He went for it. Elton by name. Elton by name, Elton by nature, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm surprised it's taken this long for Robbie Williams' Angels to come up on this or catch on, actually. It's not an actually particularly easy song to rewrite. No. I spent a lot of time trying to do it when I was at uni, and it was it was difficult. As you do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. Elton Berenzi, thank you from that So Craven podcast. Absolutely sensational end to the show today. Uh, and that'll do. We've got some uh, three-word review uh, pod names uh, sent in by the uh, the Fulhamish community. Uh, Jack, I'll get you to choose which one is Ooh. your favourite. I've been, I've been forgetting to uh, consult the community on some of the Thursday club names, but I remember today. Uh, Joe CB says, man down United. Very good which I thought was quite good. Um, Chris Frank says theater of reams. Yeah. It's also good. Although it might be too, speaking too soon. Um, George Rossiter from, uh, from within this parish. Yeah. Uh, says case for optimism. I think he's trying to kind Cass, of put like yeah. Cass, yeah. Cass for optimism. If you did Cass for optimism, it kind of works. Um, and uh, yeah, Joshua Dawes, 90 from Wembley. Uh, Jakob, suspension of disbelief. Uh, what's your favourite out of all of those? Suspension of disbelief is good. That's great. That's fantastic. Suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Go on, Jakob, your it's all yours. Yeah, I all like right. that loads. I mean, it's not particularly like, it's not particularly obvious, I suppose, what we're talking about until you get to it. But yeah, that's clever. I like that a lot because it works in both ways. In that Polina returns from suspension, Casemiro's on one. Great stuff. Very, very good. All right. Uh, we will return on Monday looking back at the United game. Uh, come what may. Let's hope, let's hope it's a win. All right, you and McGregor. <laughs> All right. And thank you very much to my guest today, if, if I can say that. Jack Collins, thank you. No, thank you, Sammy. Always a pleasure. And Peter Ratzer, thank you. No, thank you, Sammy. Always a pleasure. So as I mentioned, back on Monday, reviewing the United game, then Thursday Club will be here this time next week with some extra thoughts on that game. Plus, we'll be looking at, at the international break. Plus, we'd also love to have uh, a stack full of your questions as well. So if you've got any questions that may be a bit more long-term, a bit more evergreen um, for the podcast next week, um, we'd hugely appreciate those. Hello at fullamish.co.uk. And that's also the address where you can send in your This Will Catch On submissions. So have a lovely weekend. Enjoy Mother's Day. And fingers crossed we can get a big win on Sunday. Until then, come on, you whites. You whites!